Welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' the Talk Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Brown, and today I'm joined by Zach Lacey, Mike Berry, and producer Nitchie. Fellas, how are we doing? Awesome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for uh, extending the invite to talk some hockey. Hey, episode two of producer Nitchie. Let's get it. <laughs> some hockey. Yeah. So today... We are talking some hockey, and specifically, we are talking Boston Bruins. So we'll catch ourselves up on the season so far. Bruins sit at 10-2-2, good for 22 points. First in the Eastern Division, second in the NHL at this time, as we record on this Tuesday night. They lost two of their first three to start the season, but then they went on an absolute tear, winning 10 of their next 11 games. They did have three games postponed due to COVID cases, but those were on other teams, so they've been pretty good about it so far. Uh, Bergeron uh, and Marchand, uh, unsurprisingly, lead the team in points with 18 apiece. Uh, David Pasternak made his season debut, on January 30th against the Capitals, he's got five goals and five assists in his seven games played this year. Uh, Tuka Rask and Halak, they've played well in tandem. Rask owns a 2.51 goals against and a 9.06 save percentage in nine starts this year. Halak, been really good off the bench. He owns a 1.38 goals against and a 9.38 save percentage in his five starts. So that being said, Mike, I'll start with you. Thoughts on the Bruins season to this point? Uh, honestly, it's been pretty surprising with uh, David Pasternak being out to start the year. Um, I'm honestly surprised to see them up at the top um, of the East Division right now. Um, but their style of play right now, I don't know how long they can sustain this, this pressure right now. I think teams are going to start to figure out that they're going to they're just going to keep pumping that that first line that the the Bergeron Marchand Parsonak line. Um, so we'll see, but it's been a great start so far. Zach, yeah, I mean they've been really good so far. What concerns me is ten of their fourteen games have been decided by one goal. So I mean that's one bounce here or there. You're going to overtime. You're losing the, losing that game. You win this game because of that bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, not really blowing teams out, which. We didn't expect them to score a lot of goals this year because they just don't have a lot after that first line. Um, we'll see if switching around the lines, put pasta down in the second, will give us a little more scoring. Uh, I don't know. DeBrusque has just been terrible. So hopefully moving pasta down with Krejci will help him out a little bit. Yeah. But and- so far, so good. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like we're getting a jump start on our, our next talking point. Uh, standouts and disappointments. So DeBrusque certainly off to a rough start. Uh, so he'll, he definitely counts as a disappointment, but let's talk standouts for now. Uh, Zach, why don't you start? Who, who stood out, who or what has stood out for you so far early on in the season? Um, just a, I mean, a player that said was Nick Ritchie, He's got 10 points in the first 14 games, looked good alongside Krejci on that second line. Um, really happy with him so far. What about you, Mike? Uh, for me, it's the amount of games that are going overtime right now. It seems like 
you know, the Bruins are playing one period of hockey, the end of the game, they're lighting it up in the third period and going in overtime, getting most of their points, whether it be the one point going in overtime or the two points after winning in overtime. Um, that's something has, that has stood out to me. Um, a lot of the games have gone into the overtime frame. So um, hopefully that, that changes and their five on five play gets a little bit better. I know they're a strong special team, uh, special teams team. With, uh, I think they're leading the league right now in uh, power play. Um, but we shall see. Um, you know, with, with the injury bug creeping up on the defense right now, it's going to be tough to see how how that plays out with Grizzly going down, um, Kasha coming back as well. So that's one thing I, I don't think that that's, is helping them right now, having so many injuries and playing good hockey at the same time. Hmm. So – and I know we mentioned Richie, uh, not Richie, uh, DeBrusque already, but are there any other disappointments so far? I know the team's been playing really well and it's, it would be nitpicking, but is there any other faults that you can see on the team right now? I think I, got first, one. I was going to say um, before, sorry, Nick, uh, just uh, the first one I would say was be Charlie Coyle. He has been, he has been a ghost of himself from last year. Sorry if I'm taking your point, Nick, but uh Number 13, he's, he's, he's a disappointment right now. He's a ghost. You can't find him on the ice. And anytime he's on the ice, he's either out there for a short shift, out there with that third line, mixing it up. But um, that's my point. Nick, how, I want to finish it off. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. I was going to say the exact same thing. Um, for a guy who played so well last year and formally teamed up or paired off with Marcus Johansson and gave us that incredible playoff run back in 2018, really definitely expected to see more from Charlie Coyle, but alas, it's a long year and he's got some time to make up for it. Uh, I am also a little disappointed in Craig Smith. Uh, he's only got like three goals uh, for a guy they really brought in uh, to just shoot the puck on the net from any angle. Uh, really low amount of points, especially on a team where there really isn't anybody else you know, getting in the way of possible shooting opportunities. It just goes to show you how much they are struggling to generate scoring chances, especially on 5v5. Uh, but again, same thing as uh, with Craig Smith as with Charlie Coyle. There's still time. But uh, so far, they, they give you the indication that a lot of times they're getting away by the skin of their teeth. You know, Mike cited all these overtime games. I know Zach and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the eye test has really just shown just across the NHL, there have been a lot of goals this year. Like goaltending has kind of been poo, uh, for lack of a other word. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, me, you, and Mike Ryan talked about in the first NHL pod we recorded, we talked about Philly. Man, Carter Hart has not had a great year either. And I don't even think uh, – Tristan Jari, like the Penguins are struggling in a, in a sense. They're, they still got 15 points. There's nothing too bad with that. But uh, definitely seeing a lot of goals scored this year. Just thought it'd be, it was an interesting trend. I don't know if anybody had thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, the I think it was the other night was the first time that there was four different games with 10-plus goals since scored in each of them since 2007. I, I remember on the Super Bowl day, we were watching – there's just goals scored left and right in games. Um, and – after you get past that first line for the Bruins, they just don't score. That's why Craig Smith was my one of my big disappointments too. Then he had an early overtime goal in the season. He, we were I was really excited about him, and then I guess that goes t- hand in hand with a uh, coil mm-hmm. and that 
if one of your guys isn't doing good, the other guy in the line is probably not doing that great either. Um, but there's a lot of goals around the NHL just not finding the Bruins. Right, and then um, to that point about the line switching, they're basically going to the same setup that they had back in that cup run where – you know, St. Louis was starting to figure them out that they would shut down that first line and they were scrambling to find combinations. So they had to go to that that second alternative line of Krejci and Pasta. And then um, right now it's going to be Richie on the right-hand side. But, I mean, um, having that, that second A line is, I mean, it's, it's good and bad. I mean, teams are going to figure out pretty quick that they're just going to try and feed the puck to Pasta, you know, on that second line. And same thing up at the top. They're just going to try – and you know, once they shut down Bergeron and Martian, it's it's pretty much game over. Yeah, let me tell you, I I hate – I absolutely hate Jake DeBrusque playing on the first line. I think if you're going to move anybody up there with Marchand and Bergeron, I honestly would have would rather see Craig Smith. I understand it kind of messes up the flow because uh, I really did like Trent Frederick playing with Coyle and Smith. I thought they played well. They weren't exactly generating a ton of points, but they were playing some good hockey for a good period, of, a good stretch of time. But I think uh, in the effort to kind of switch up the first line, I don't think giving DeBrusque that spot next to two of your best players is the way to go. I think Craig Smith's got to be the guy that Martian and Bergeron can kind of feed off and give shots to and play more well-rounded to. You know, if Krejci's not going to be scoring goals anymore and he's just going to be facilitating the puck, which he's still fantastic at, you have to surround him with some guys who can actually put the puck in the back of the net. And Jake DeBrusque, who used to be a 20-goal scorer, is now barely even that. I mean, when he was scoring 20 goals, we were like, okay, now she's got to make the jump. Go to 25, and then maybe we'll talk 30 back there. And it's like ever since we started that conversation, it's like, he's just not even reaching 20 anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think a lot of the – a lot of moving to Brusque up too is a confidence thing. Yeah. If you put him down to the third line, he's not going to get as many opportunities with Coyle. If you put him on the first line, he's going to get a lot of opportunities. And if he just sees one or two go in, then it could come in bunches. If you put Craig Smith up there, he was, wasn't signed to be a big, big end guy. So he knows that he was going to play third line and just get his opportunities when he can. So I think it's more of a, you got to feed this younger guy who is still, one of your bright pieces for the future. Well, I certainly hope it works out. I certainly hope he actually puts what, a couple in the back of the net and he gains some confidence and, uh, you know, that way we can kind of put him wherever else and he feels confident playing anywhere. He's got talent and nobody's ever argued that. He's got some talent. He can he can move well with the puck and do some nif- nifty stuff with it, but uh, the production has just never been there. Yeah, well, we'll see. He's going to get plenty of chances now. Yeah, this is it. I, on. Yeah. This is this is like the almost the last straw. It sounds a little dramatic, but if he's not doing anything with this opportunity, if they give him good run with it, I I don't know how you let this guy stick around any longer. So so I know we're already sort of into it, uh, but I'll just pose the question since we're talking about the lines. Uh, do you guys have you guys approved? Do you guys like the lines that Bruce Cassidy has rolled out uh, so far this year? Mike, you can start. Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, once you get that, once you come down from that, that first line, it's, you know, it's not really consistent of what, of what you're seeing, what you're used to seeing from years past. We had those four solid lines. Um, and I think one thing that you can kind of infer from that is the moves that or the lack of moves that the front office has, has made over the, over the last few years, you know, there's not they still don't have that second line right wing that has plagued them for years. 
they haven't had anyone to compliment Krejci on that second line. So it's kind of, they're, they're definitely, you know, band-aiding a solution right now. They're not making moves at the trade deadline. They're not making moves at the off season to address the need to have a, another toxic forward um, like that. So, I mean, they, they definitely lost their chance last year with not going after Tyler Toffoli, who's lighting it up right now, right now for Montreal. And, and then you look at our move recently with Carolina sending Galchenyuk, Alex Galchenyuk, back up to Toronto um, for a couple um, low-light pro- prospects. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely, they definitely need to seize an opportunity to get another, another top six forward, and they need to do that sooner rather than later. I don't really know what they're <laughs> waiting for either. I mean, they have like $5 million in cap space. Like, it's not like they don't have the room to go make a move for one of these guys who, who could be a second line right wing. So I don't really know if people just don't want to come to Boston. If he's not trying to make moves, I don't really know what the issue is right now. Yeah. I, if you are able to deal Ryan Donato and get somebody like Charlie Coyle in return, you got to be able to make some moves. You know what I mean? I, I like the Craig Smith signing in the off season, but that's still that's not enough. And it still goes to show you, I mean, your top line is giving you 21 goals and the rest of the team combined including defense which has only given you three uh is giving you 19 so once again it's a case of three guys outscoring the rest of the team richie has been fantastic especially on the power play he's been finishing at the net which is something you needed but they really i mean it's funny that we we kind of do this same song and dance with the bruins every year at the deadline and in the offseason and we do it with Lots of other teams in this area in New England, and it's just it gets the repetition. You just get sick and tired of it. And I know we've referenced what changes they are making to try and balance out the the, the top six, the top two forward lines. But what changes would you guys make to the lines, if any, to try and mix things up, shake it up, get more balanced production across the board? Zach, I'll, I'll start with you. Oh boy. Um, I mean, I, I like giving DeBrus some run up with the top guys. He has the talent. He needs to be, he just needs those opportunities more and maybe getting him with those two guys that they don't, they'll attract all the attention. He'll have more chances. Um, but if he doesn't work out, man, I just throw him down on the third line. If you have to put Charlie Coyle back up there, he, he was good in the playoffs last year when he had to run up in the top line. So I, I like, I like it for now, but it's a short leash for DeBrusque. He needs to start producing real quick. Mike. Uh, for me, there's not really much to change up, up at the top. Um, you're going to have the top line. You're going to have the perfection line out there at all, uh, pretty much the majority of the time. For me, I think it, you got to look at the defense. Um, I think they're not. I think they really need to start using the the pair of Coyle and McAvoy. I'm not Coyle, sorry, uh, Carlo, Carlo and McAvoy a lot more. Um, they usually use that pairing a lot, um, especially during the deep cup run. Um, they look really solid together, um, and just not seeing that pairing. Um, uh, Lausanne and Zabora are looking great as well, but I I think they still need to address having a top. I don't think they have a top two defenseman defensive pair right now they have obviously McAvoy who's there who's their a1 defenseman but after that you can pretty much take any of the defensemen and pick the names out of the hat and put them on the first line I think they need to get that that 
solid first line pairing for defense and then figure it out from there. Nick, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I really have enjoyed uh, their defense so far. I think they've played a lot higher above expectations, especially given the inexperience. I know it was on got some run beforehand, but especially with Jakob Saboral. Um, and I, I got to give some credit to Kevin Miller. I mean, he's played very physical this year. He looks great. He's in great shape. And I feel really confident when I see him controlling the puck out there, um, specifically, especially when they get attacked in the forecheck. I think he does a great job of getting the puck where he needs to go. I don't think the defense is really much of their problem, but only in the sense of their, you know, their defensemen playing defense. I think that's been great. The problem, and it's another one of the things that we've been talking about offensively, is their defensemen just don't put up shots at the blue line. When they do, they get blocked. So many times they struggle to get that puck through at the blue line. And yet on the other end, especially with Raskin, that we're getting shots all tipped around and thrown in the back of our net from the blue line. And uh, I don't know. I don't think they should really tr- like make any sort of move to get anybody else. I, I think the group they got is fine as long as Zaboral and Lausanne get more comfortable and continue to play well. I would say right now, um, if they could continue playing like this, they can, they can do some incredible things. Um, who would you guys rather have right now, Lausanne or Chara in the top line with McAvoy? I honestly, uh, I think I'm, yeah, I would still roll with Lausanne. I, I think Chara is just slow um, at this point, and I like a younger guy to bring a little more energy. And Lausanne leads the team in hits right now. He's got 39 hits, and nobody, the next closest is 30. So he's playing a very physical game. So I really liked how Lausanne's been. Um, I don't think he's a top two defenseman. I agree with you 100%, Mike, but. Uh, I definitely think he's done some good things for the team, and there's just no reason for him to not be out there, I would say. So this is my next question is sort of more self-imposed because I don't think there's a goalie controversy in Boston. I think it's Rask 1 for sure and Halak 2. But with the way that Halak has played in his five starts so far, should he be getting more starts? Should it be a more sp- even 50-50 split between him and Rask? Uh, I think so. They they rolled that combo during the cup run, and it proved wonders for them. So I know Tuka's been hot this year. He's been playing great. But just keeping that consistent rotation and, and you know, play Tuka two, three games and Halak maybe one or two to give him that rest. Because with this condensed season, with all this – travel short-term travel and games back-to-back nights and stuff like that it's gonna the wear and tear is gonna be there come come april may when playoffs come around so i think they definitely need to you know definitely have halak in there more often than they are now uh no i think it's i think it's pretty much perfect the way it is now uh tuka gets two-thirds halak gets one-third uh i mean in the playoffs it's gonna be tuka every game out there so he's going to have to be ready for back-to-backs eventually. Um, Because we saw in the playoffs last year, Halak's just not – he's not a number one for the playoffs. He's great in the regular season, but he's just not – it's not it in the playoffs. Um, So where it is right now, you give Tuka a night off every third game, that's perfectly fine with me. Yeah, I would say the thing with Tuka and Halak – 
when Halak gets hot, I think you got to kind of ride the wave. So I would like to see them use more of a lock in the, sh- in the short term. And maybe it, it could be longer term if he plays this well. The difference is I don't think he'll play this well for a, a long standing period of time. So generally speaking, I think what Zach's rotation is probably the way to go. The thing with the two of them that I see a lot is uh, when I see uh, an opposing player on a breakaway or with a straight up shot, uh, when Rask is in net, I feel a lot better because I feel like on straight shots with no bodies in front of them, Rask is a lot better of a goalie than Halak. Even though the numbers technically over the course of games wouldn't necessarily agree with that, I just think skill set wise, that's how it is. The only thing that I think Halak does a lot better than than Tuka is see-through screens. Tuka has been horrible at picking up pucks from the blue line when he's got bodies around him. And we've seen so many times where shots just go in by Tuka when he gets screened and he's just he's just standing still. Like he, he doesn't even realize the puck was shot at all. I think Halak does a little, or at least enough, a better job of that to really make it noticeable. But I guess overall, I would, would like them to see, uh, I would like to see them use Halak a little more. Um, but once he kind of he's he's kind of riding high right now i don't want to say cloud nine maybe like cloud seven or it's cloud eight but uh ride that hot streak ride that hot hand while you can and then you can kind of give rask more of a break and manage them a little better because at some point halak's going to come back down to what he is and that's one of the best backup goalies in the league and then you can kind of go from there yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think it was that Rangers game, the overtime game last week. Yeah. There was like four or five changes in overtime. They had either breakaways or they had a two-on-one, and Tuca was just stone-cold awesome in that. Yeah. And I think they lose that game right away if Halak's in there. So You you cannot win the, – the Bruins cannot win the Stanley Cup unless Tuca Rask is their clear one, like not one A, their clear number one goal, goaltender and is playing like it. Yeah. A lot cannot be the guy you do. And you would, they got proven in the bubble. Right. So you, you bring up uh, my next question, which is, are the Bruins definitely Stanley Cup contenders the way the roster is currently constructed without making any moves or anything like that? So here, here's the thing. The way the roster is constructed right now, like, yes, they've got 22 points. They're playing fantastic. But, again, we've mentioned a lot of close games. Yeah. The way everything is right now, they're going to need some help. And I'm talking, like, path to the Stanley Cup help, similar to 2018, where they got Toronto, Columbus, and then the joke of the Carolina Hurricanes in the Easter Conference Finals. That 2018 Stanley Cup run that they lost probably is going to be one of the biggest lost opportunities in the franchise's history. If you, if you go back and look at it, as far as a playoff run standpoint, it probably is. There are some players, Tyler Sagan, Blake Wheeler, you know, getting rid of those guys, probably not great. But I think that run is going to be something they look back and like, damn, we should have done that. With this roster, they're going to need that kind of help. And you have some hope for it in with the way the reseeding works. If they, I think they can, they can win the Easter division part of the playoffs. It's not going to be easy, but I think they can with this roster. The problem is 
if you go up against Tampa, who's going to have Kucherov back at that point, and the way they're already playing right now without him, you're toast. They're absolutely toast. So you got to hope when you get to the reseed, if they do, that you are not the worst regular season team and that you get that team from the Canadian division or from the Western division. And then hopefully you can beat them and get, and then you got to hope, basically you got to hope you avoid Tampa the whole time. Tampa is the one team. If they get there, they're toast. It don't matter. Um, and that's, and that's that on that. Uh, they would have to make some moves or DeBrusque, Smith and Coyle would have to just like get like uh, a golden mushroom in Mario Kart and just start going off flying with goals uh, for the rest of this year for any shot of this roster being able to beat a, a roster similar to Tampa Bay. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that they're without making any moves, they're still a contender. Uh, hockey's different from every other sport in which you can have one guy, your goalie that just goes plays out of their mind and you can go very, very far. Uh, they have the perfection line. If Tuca plays the way he can is a, number one, the, one of the best goalies in the league, then they can go as far as his shin pads will take them. Um, it would be nice if they make some moves, yeah. And if they avoid Tampa, that's even better. But it's all on Tuca. It's all on the goalie. Mike? Yeah, they're definitely a contender. Um, I was just looking up some stats here, but I – in the long term, you know, I don't, I'm not sure they can, they can go deep, especially with these high scoring offenses like Toronto, um, Vegas, St. Louis. Um, you have two division leaders right now who have under 45 goals for, and then two leaders almost approaching 60 goals for. So, and seeing those kind of numbers to start the year off is, is definitely a concern. I don't think they can go toe to toe in a, in a duel like that with, scoring a lot of goals left, right, and center. But at face value, they're definitely a contender, and we'll see what happens come playoff time. Well, if you have those stats in front of you, Mike, give me them for just the Eastern Division. Where do they rank in in goals scored? So right now they have um, 42 goals scored, and ahead of them is Pittsburgh with 43 uh, Philadelphia, 46, and then Washington. Uh, they lead the division right now with 47 goals for. So they're in the ballpark with the other teams in their division. So for me, if you're making a deep run, it doesn't necessarily mean you're making it to the cup. That would obviously be nice. It means you're getting pretty damn close. Like So in this instance, we call it conference finals, but there is no conference finals this year. It's basically a, a fi- final four or frozen four, however you want to call it. Um, so just so far, it looks like they're on a similar pace to those other teams in terms of production. And that's with other lines, a couple of their lines struggling to produce anything other than outside of the perfection line. So in my mind, that, that at least provides hope that, well, the other teams aren't doing a whole lot better in terms of scoring right now than us. That, that, that would get me some hope. Nick, I see you want to interject here. Yeah, so the Eastern Division isn't scoring much more and while that'll be important in the beginning part of the playoffs if that trend continues there are a lot of other teams that are scoring more goals than the Bruins and I'll just quickly name them Calgary Florida Columbus Chicago Carolina Montreal St. Louis Winnipeg Tampa Bay Vancouver Toronto Edmonton all scoring 
uh, more goals than the Bruins. So uh, while that using the Eastern Conference as a kind of comparison into how they should feel about their goal score total, uh, it looks better when you look at the Eastern Division than when you look at the entire league. So it's still not something I'm going to be feeling good about, even though the rest of the division is struggling at the moment. It'll help their regular season finish, but in the long run, as far as the cup goes, not so much. I, and I agree with that. I, I guess what I'm saying is you only if as long as you get out of the division, there's only two teams you have to worry about at that point. Whoever, and two of them are the division winners, like you said. So, uh, or potentially division winners. Um, it's, it's, if you get to that point, you get to that point, and yeah, you're probably going to be going up against a high-powered offense. No doubt about that. But for the first two rounds, you're guaranteed to play in your division. So that's why I wanted to bring up that comparison. Yeah, I mean, nobody, there's not a lot of teams in the East that I'd say, really scare you like Tampa and Toronto do outside of the division. Um, I mean, I guess you want to avoid the flyers. Um, but other than that, I mean, the capitals are good, but I'm not scared of the Islanders, not scared of the penguins, Rangers, devils, sabers, anybody. So basically just avoid the flyers in the first round and take them on the second round. If you have to, but even the flyers, even all, all of those teams in the East, they're having goalie issues, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, mean, I the think Bruin, the Bruins should advance with the roster they have now. They should advance out of the East. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you have a lot of teams who can't even stay on the ice right now with the um, COVID protocols sure. and everything. So that's another, another factor you have to factor in with everything going on. Most of them being bums like Buffalo and New Jersey, but other teams as well. Like mm-hmm. uh, I think Colorado had a couple problems. So I know we've mentioned that, the Bruins could really use top six forward to go on, especially at right wing on the second line. And then particularly maybe even another top line defenseman. Um, So are there any other holes that Don Sweeney should try to fill uh, before the trade deadline? And my follow-up will be who should the Bruins look to fill those needs? Oh boy. Um, it's a loaded well, question. I know. Yeah. Well, just looking at the kind of wing center guy and looking on bad teams, if you look out in LA for the Kings, they suck. Um, a guy like Alex, I have follow. I don't know how to say his name, whatever. He's 27 last year. His deal has got nine points so far. He's a center. You can play wing too. Could move him around with coil. Um, they he's the bad team. They're going to be looking to sell. So that's a guy I think they would they could benefit to going after another guy in Nashville, Nick Cousins. He's got two years left on his deal. He's only got five points in the year, but he's a cheap deal for only like a million and a half, I think, on a bad team. So those are two guys I would look at. Mm. Mike. Uh, I mean, I'm looking up and down the NHL. The Bruins can go after so many people, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're just going to go after a 34, 35 year old grinder. Who's going to get them some depth on the third and fourth line. Rick Nash scene. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Good uh, trade, trade a first round pick to that guy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have confidence in the Bruins making in season moves ever since, you know, the Tyler Sagan deal that blew up in their 
face and all that good you think stuff. that scarred them for life it, it definitely, yeah oh my god i i was thinking about that i meant to say it dougie hamilton that guy's a top two defense he's in carolina right yeah yeah he's he's like actually good and we traded him away because we thought he was some like bum like problem child yeah i mean like sagan hamilton even blake wheeler it was a short run but like blake wheeler's nasty too yeah like man that maybe you know maybe when you when you think about it maybe they did get scarred for life by some awful trades I mean, go back even further. They traded Joe, Joe Thornton. He had an even better career in San Jose. But Joe Thornton scoring more goals for Toronto this year. He's missed over a month than some of these guys are the Bruins that we try to rely on to play in the second line like Jake DeBrus. Seriously. It's incredible. The guy's like 40 years old. He was threatening to go play in like Russia or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they easily should have at least – have given Mike Hoffman a, a PTO when that whole thing started in, in the yeah. offseason. There's no reason why they shouldn't have brought him in, at least for a tryout. That's what St. Louis did. They signed him for peanuts, and he, he's producing for them. Granted, he is a center. He could provide depth up the middle there, but something's better than nothing. Yeah, and, I, it, and the Bruins tend to sit back there in the season and wait for the offseason to make their moves. Absolutely. I mean, you, you bring him in, you, you just move coil somewhere else. Like, or you move, you move these other guys around. Like you, the problem is they, the Bruins just have so many people that you just have question marks around whether they can do their job. I mean, we're talking about Anders Bjork. We're talking about Jake DeBrus. We're talking about Andre Kasha too. You know, so many guys that you just don't know what they're going to do when they get on the ice. You know what you're going to get from guys like Crowley and Wagner, obviously the top line. And now it's pretty settled in what we know about Krejci, the same thing he's been doing over the past, however, decade, many years he's been here. Um, but I think also this year, now we're starting to have even more question marks than we should with Coyle and Smith. And so you just start adding these people to a bag and sooner or later, the bag's going to break. You can't have so many question marks of guys who are, you don't know what to expect when they get on the ice. Sometimes it's going to be good. Sometimes it's going to be bad. That's just not going to get you very far. And right now, you're getting away with it. But will you get away with it for that much longer? Remains to be seen. I'd like to think probably not. Yeah. So let's let's go into the Bruins' upcoming schedule. Uh, so they've got a game this Thursday, coming Thursday night against the Devils. We'll have to see if that Maybe. one isn't postponed like their, their matchup Monday between the two teams was. Uh, and regardless of that, uh, if they don't play, their next opportunity to, be, to get on the back on the ice would be this Sunday afternoon as part of the makeshift outdoor series. They would be playing at Lake Tahoe Resort in Stateline, Nevada. I think I got that right. Um, so that that's that is going to be cool to see Sunday. Uh, there's it's the second of two outdoor games that weekend, um, and then from then from there they they go to New York. They play the Islanders once and the Rangers twice. The Islanders are the only team that's beaten the Bruins in regulation. Beat them twice in regulation. So I don't know if that's just a matchup thing uh, or what, but. The Islanders seem to have the Bruins are the only team in the division that seems to have the Bruins number uh, this early on into the year. Uh, but I do want to make of note with those three games against the New York teams, six of their next 11 are actually 
against the Rangers and then the Devils, uh, and who are at the bottom of the division. So the Bruins definitely need to take advantage and because they're 3 0 and 1 against those two teams so far. Uh, so they're definitely going to need to take advantage of those matchups and, uh, and start not and keep the role, keep the pace, the point pace going as we head into the dog days of the season. Yeah. Um, those games against the Rangers are going to be tough. Um, the Rangers record is not very telling of how they've been playing this year. I honestly don't know if the New York Rangers have played a single game that wasn't decided by one point. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try and see if I can find that out now, but uh, they've been playing very well this year and they just aren't finishing the end of games. I mean, both Bruins games were decided one in overtime and one, they literally just couldn't score a single goal. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of losses by more than one goal. They've won some games by more than one, but really not a lot of lost games for the Rangers by more than one goal. So those games are not going to be a pushover for the Bruins, especially if things start tumbling downhill for a lot of the things that we've already discussed. I, the games that we really got to make sure we win uh, are definitely against the devils. Um, I particularly just dislike the devils. Uh, Miles Wood, uh, he just looks like a guy you'd like to punch in the face. So I, 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 I hate them for that. That's Very punchable face for sure. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I, just, like, I think though. the Rangers only lost, they lost the Islanders twice. Is there twice? Is there only multi goal losses? Yeah. The first one was on opening night when they got pumped for nothing. But yeah, the Rangers, they're going to get our time Panarin back in the next couple of days. So, they're a good team. Um, one thing I do love about this season is all the uh, back-to-back games that they're playing against teams. It just gives it so much more rivalry and shit when you lay somebody out one game and then the next game right after the start, you're just fighting. I love it. It's yeah, fun. well, that was crazy. That second leg against the Rangers, the yeah. first game was fine. They felt like there was nothing going on. Maybe they were talking shit and I missed it. But, like, that second game, they started beating each other's asses. I was like, oh, my God. And I got to tell you, I love Trent Frederick. I meant Me to mention him standouts. He's been fantastic. He's never been a guy who's going to come in and score goals for you, but he's that guy. He's like Sean Thornton. You just he, love he's him. Sean Thornton. Literally lefty Sean Thornton. Yeah. like he, He's a guy who's just going to come in. He's going to hit people. He's going to play hard. And as long as he plays well with the puck, he doesn't turn it over in the neutral zone and make any other bad plays with the puck, as long as he kind of plays a little more, not facilitator in the sense that he's getting assists, but you know, just a good puck manager. That's all you can ask for, especially down at the bottom, you know, third, fourth line. Love to see what he's been doing so far. Yeah, and, and teams are going to be put on notice further on in the season. He goes out there, wears them down, and oh yeah, that's where, that's where you're going to see that top line taking advantage. Is once, you know, these teams get worn down in the second and third period, then they come out and, and light it up. So, and it's been for interesting sure. to see – you know, league-wide, um, like you mentioned, the the back-to-back games. Uh, for example, Arizona and St. Louis just had, what, six or seven games uh, together. And then you have um, Calgary and Edmonton playing eight or nine times, and they definitely don't like each other. So it definitely creates for a lot of interesting hockey. I thought to begin with, to begin the season, I thought the these longer series and these back-to-back games were going to create a lot of stagnant hockey. But I've definitely been proved wrong in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned uh, that, that, you know, 
a lot of the other teams in the league, when they play the Bruins, they're going to figure out you just got to play physical and mess with that top line. You well, let me like let me cut you off there, Nick. Only seven teams get to play the Bruins this year before the playoffs. Okay, that's okay. That's technically true. You, <laughs> you know what I was going for, though. Yes. Um, Continue. When you, if you, the problem when they were struggling in 2018 with that is they didn't have anybody who was fighting back. You know, if you bring in some big bodies, everyone always mentioned they're not playing physical enough. They're not bringing big bodies in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh my god, it's bringing the Richie brothers, and they'll do something, and they did nothing. Uh, now Nick Ritchie actually putting pucks in that instead of just trying to be there as a big body. Love to see that. But, you know, when you bring in a guy like Trent Frederick and you bring in these guys, I love Connor Clifton at his energy. He's not going to be playing all the time on that defensive lines, but uh, I love the energy that he brings, especially with Lazone and Kevin Miller. Start being physical with other teams. And when they start trying to bang up your top line, you kind of instill some fear when you fight back and say, Hey, you hit my guys. We're going to hit you back harder. And while that's not going to show up in the score sheet, I think that's been a big help for them this year so far. Maybe that's another thing that they're hoping DeBrus will bring to that top line is that they're not really – Marsha and Bergeron, not really that physical in either pasta. Maybe DeBrus can bring a little more of that physicality and wear out some of those guys who are playing against the Bruins' top line and mm. give Marsha and Bergeron some extra opportunities from other guys being worn down a little bit. Yeah, imagine they throw Trent Frederick up there somehow. That's what, that's what I think might actually help the brusque is, you know, he's not playing like he was playing a couple of years ago. We had to go out every, every single shift and hit everything in sight. Um, I think he's definitely had a lot of complacency recently and maybe sitting him down for a game or two, bringing up some of the young guys from Providence, mixing it up a little bit more, um, you know, maybe would light that fire underneath him and getting back to, you know, him kind of almost dominating that, that space where he, where he, um, was thriving in over the past few seasons. Yeah, I mean, he was in that Milan Lucci troll for a little while and just laying people out and scoring goals. And then it seemed like he tried to become too much of a goal scorer where he was trying to tiptoe around people and dance and stuff. And he can do that. He's just he was just built more for that power forward role rather than a full-on dangle sniper guy. Yeah, I hate to say it, Milan Lucic, another guy with more points than Jake DeBrusque, I think. I love Milan Lucic. I'm so sad they got rid of him too. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just—he was the perfect like. You, you should—they should have just dropped him down in the line, and he could have just been Trent Frederick, you know, be the same thing, and maybe actually score a few more goals. I don't know, man. Just yeah. seemed like. I, I think the problem was the, the money. You know, they were probably paying him too much, and they kind of had to get off that contract. Yeah, I mean, I think he's getting like six or seven million. Like that's a lot for a guy if you're going to pay him play like third line. For sure. For sure. I'm excited for those the outdoor games, though. I love outdoor hockey. Oh, my God. Those are it's always awesome. the best. Goalies put the little beanie, the little winter hats on their heads. It's great. I almost think it's going to – it's gonna might be, a honestly, a better product with the minimalist setup. They only have the rink out there, a couple extra auxiliary buildings around the, around the rink. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really going to be able to highlight the, the focus on the outdoor rink and in the, in the kind of going back to the roots of hockey on the outdoor lakes and ponds. I mean, yes, the, the winter classics are great and all, but I think you kind of lose the nostalgia piece of it, having so many fans in the stands. So, you know, with, with having no fans at, at these venues, I think it's going to be uh, create a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I think it's just a different angle on it. I mean, with the winter classics, there are just big events, you know, where that's obviously centered around the fans gathering in a different fashion, being in the outdoors. 
this is definitely an entirely different angle where you're like, hey, you're going back to people's roots, pond hockey, you know, everything that we <laughs> we're still doing today for the most part, uh, you know, wish we could do some more, but, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely will be watching probably all the games. I think it's, will be really exciting to see what they look like for sure from a TV's perspective. I would love they offered like an alternative stream where they mic'd up like the player or the some somehow mic'd up the players on the ice and you could just hear them just screaming at each other all game. Yeah, I don't know how you'd follow regulations with that because if you mic up these guys, you're gonna hear some cruel, cruel things. And as much as I'd love that, you probably have to tell them, hey, you probably just have to bleep it out. I don't know, yeah. man. You just you you'd get like a constant string of bleeps throughout any audio to be like hey do you have any you have any clips of uh what's his face talking where he's not calling the dude uh, an absolute like piece of shit and like talking about what he's going to do to his family members or something dude yeah, yeah no, if they put it on like fucking youtube or something and you just hear these guys all game hey fucking pussy <laughs> <laughs> yeah God, mike no i'm saying they could you know, what uh what the what is it the fcf that new football league yeah uh, on twitch it, yeah, on Twitch. So, but, so they'll have the they'll have the regular game. They'll have a feed where you can go onto the helmet cam of a player, and then you'll have like um, an alter, another alternative camera. So it definitely can be done. It's definitely something that needs to be done. I think like fans love the behind the scenes stuff, and and you know they they love hearing the guys talk with one another. They love seeing the these different angles. So I think with these these different events they should definitely explore and test out more options as opposed to the standard broadcast. Um, it's something they should, should, they should definitely do. And then um, for the future. And real quick, before we wrap up on Bruins, uh, if are there any surprises around the league, whether player wise, team wise, that you guys want to talk about real quick uh, that you've seen outside of the Boston Bruins? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Uh, I think one of the big ones is the amount of hype that uh, Lafreniere, Alexis Lafreniere had coming into the season as number one overall pick. He was going to be this, that, and the other come into the season, and I don't think he's had over double-digit points right now. I think the big surprise out of that rookie class is Kirill Kaprizov uh, in uh, Minnesota. I think he's leading the league right now for rookies with 11 points, um, and he's just lighting enough for Minnesota when they can get it on the ice. So that's been one of the surprises for me. Uh, I, I think the Montreal Canadiens are definitely a surprise, uh, at least to the degree of how well they've played so far. Uh, Edmonton Oilers are definitely right on track to what I said. So uh, shout out Mike Barry's prediction for them to win the, that uh, division. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, I, I told you the other, you know what I told you, you know, I told you that surprise team. If you look at the central division, I told you Florida Panthers, they're nine, two and two, man. Yeah, you got you, you, you pay attention. I'm out here giving you hot takes. I'm giving you winners. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I would definitely say the biggest surprise, in my opinion, uh, would probably be in Montreal. I just didn't expect them to be playing at such an efficient level so far. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about takes, you've scoffed at my take of the Bruins being the favorites in the division going into the season, and they've backed that up thus far. So I don't want yeah, to hear that- it. Well, hey, that was just reverse psychology. You know, uh, I, I was yeah, doing that on yeah. purpose. Yeah, so I'm, that's I'm, I'm sure you were. Yep. Yeah, of course. Zach? I think my biggest surprise so far is the, the Blackhawks. I mean, people thought they were dead and Taves and Kane trying to go back for one more run. Um, yeah, they're looking pretty good so far. Lots of overtime losses, but 
those could, those could turn into wins easily. So they got 20 points. They're not, not dead yet. I like the, what they're doing so far. All right. So going to wrap up with a two part question for you guys here. Do you guys think that Don Sweeney will make a big move at the deadline, whether that be top six or forward or top line defenseman? And will the Bruins make it out of the division come the playoffs? So will they make it to the final four teams when all is said and done in the playoffs? I know it's early, but I got to get your takes. So Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, I'll say Don Sweeney will make a move. It's not going to be a big move. It's probably just going to be for a depth piece. Um, maybe move a couple prospects out of Providence. Uh, get like a third, fourth line center. Definitely want to address the wing this year and in regards to the playoffs i definitely think they'll move into that frozen four uh, like you were talking about earlier all right um as far as the trade i'll say i'll say yes i think he goes and gets a number one number one defenseman move one of those younger defensemen and go get a, a big name piece to go along with Mac, mcavoy on that top line um, just to be a little contrary to Mike, because you know, bitch. But uh, <laughs> and yes, they're they're easily making it out of the East. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just follow my natural pessimism in the track record of this team and say no trade. Um, and but I do agree that they that they they'll. I want. I. I don't want to just say that they will because, like, my mind. I'm like, oh, I don't know. But like, hey, if, hey, hey. If, if Gun to your I'm, head. I'm, Gun to your yeah. head. Are they making it out of the East or not? I'm actually getting finger blasters pointed at me. This is so stressful. Yeah. yeah. You're getting finger uh, blasted. <laughs> uh, I. I will say yes. I will say yes. Oh, three for three. I guess I got to hold you guys to that now. Uh, that's gonna do it for this edition of fixing the talk sports make sure you go like subscribe follow the other podcasts in the mouth and off sports umbrella that being the cool zone nba pod the foxborough files patriots podcast and of course the original the mouth and off radio show if they ever get their act together um but you never know you never know with dan did you say the foxborough files what the hell is that i i did they're, they've also been <clears throat> absent in recent weeks, but uh, hopefully editor Danny will get back in the swing of things and get that pod back up. Yeah, they pulled running. Andre Roberson. They've been out for you two years. Uh, you know, the, the, the right. two editors, Dan and Dan, not really uh, – I don't know. They're falling behind a little bit. That, that, is, that is true. Thankfully, uh-huh. I've got the right Dan on my side. Yeah, hashtag <laughs> – not my Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to do it here for this edition of Fixing the Talk Sports. So for Mike Berry, Zach Lacey, and producer Nitchie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you next week. Talk to you. Damn!